good to be here with you. And let's now direct our attention to the reading of God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, we need you to... Teach us today through your word. We need your Holy Spirit to move in us, to build us up into the spiritual house that we've read about. And so, Father, we ask that by your Spirit you would teach us today through the preaching of your word that you would be working in each of our hearts today that we might know you more deeply and that you would enable us to respond faithfully to your call on each of our lives. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm going to clear my throat here. <laughs> Today's passage uh, really tells us a lot about the nature and the purpose of the church. Um, in other words, it forces us to ask the question... Uh, What is the church and what is the church for? What is the calling of the church? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And and really this part of scripture uh, teaches us at least three things, three important things about the church. It tells us that in the church, first we have a new identity, second we have a new purpose, and third we have a new foundation. A new identity, a new purpose, and a new foundation. So first, a new identity. Uh, Surely you notice as we read the passage that there was a lot of communal language that was being used. So for example, uh, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people 
a people for his own possession. And this is very much communal language, uh, which is significant in itself, but the language is also significant because it's echoing another important part of Scripture, uh, which is Exodus 19. And Exodus 19 comes when uh, the people of Israel have uh, gone out into the desert. They've come to Mount Sinai. And uh, Moses, uh, God has told Moses to gather them there. And he's going to make a covenant with them. And this is what God says to them through Moses in Exodus 19, verses 5 through 6. He says, Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant... You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that sounds pretty familiar based off the passage that we just read. Uh, But we have to ask, what's going on there in Exodus 19? And what's going on is God has... Uh, he's saved Israel. He's, he's brought them out of Egypt. He's saved them from, from slavery. And uh, now that he had saved them, he, he wants them to be this unique and special uh, community. God's people. They are becoming God's covenant people. Uh, in other words, he doesn't say to them, now that I've saved you, I, I want you to all just go your own way. Uh, or, or even that he just wants to have a you know individual, personal relationship with each one of them. He wants them together to become this covenant community. Uh, and and he says he wants he wants them to be his special people on the earth, a people who are holy and just and righteous, who bear witness to his glory uh, among the nations. In other words, God gave Israel a new identity as his treasured possession. He called them to be his people. And Peter, in our passage today, has the audacity to say that the church now continues that same calling. And by echoing that passage, Peter is saying that everything that is true about Israel... And God's promises to Israel is now true, also true, of the church. He says that Christians have now been grafted into the people of God and they've taken up this identity of being His people. He says plainly in verse 10, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In other words, he's telling us that that Christians... Uh, If you are a Christian, then something profound has changed about your identity. You have been forgiven in Christ, and you are now part of God's people. Now, I want to spend just a few moments on what that means for us today. What does it mean to be part of God's people? Uh, The first thing uh, that I want to point out to us is that it it means privilege. Uh, To be part of God's people means that you have been given a great and special privilege. Peter says that you are a people of God's own possession. Which means that as a Christian you belong to God. You are His uh, treasured possession, to echo that 
passage in Exodus. Um, what does that mean biblically? Well, just to echo a few other parts of Scripture, uh, to echo Jesus and uh, His parables in Luke 15, you are like the lost sheep who has been found that the Lord rejoices over. You are like the lost son who has come home and the Father throws a banquet for. Uh, to echo Paul in Ephesians 5, we are the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, which means that you're His beloved. Now let me ask you, is that, are you living in light of that today? Is that real to you today? That you are this chosen and special and treasured possession from the Lord? Is that real to you in your life? That is the identity that Peter is telling us that we have in Christ. We are now part of God's people. We are His special possession. So that's one thing that it means. A second thing, though, that this new identity means is that you are now part of a unique kind of community. Uh, in other words, you have a new corporate or social identity belonging to a people, the church. Uh, you know, most of 1 Peter chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2 are dealing with um, what it means to grow in, in the Christian life, uh, to live out your faith, to, to, to live out your salvation. And so it's interesting that Peter immediately starts talking about being part of the people of God following that. And the reason why must be that he's saying you're not meant to go through that alone. You're meant to be part of a community. He tells us in verse 5 that we are meant to be built up together into a spiritual house with each stone supporting one another. That's the imagery there. So to be part of God's people means that you now have a new corporate and communal identity that we are supposed to be built up together. Now, I've got to say, in, in my experience, I think that this is an area that, by and large, the church in the West, we have a hard time with. Um, we're very individualistic, often, in our faith. And so we need to be better at recognizing this dimension of what it means to be a Christian and activating it. Because so often, we, we view the church as something that we could take or leave, uh, we view it as a place to come on Sunday and hear a sermon and sing some songs, but we're not really invested in the lives of people around us. Uh, worst of all, sometimes we can have a tendency to view the church in purely institutional or organizational terms. But the church is meant to be a people. Local churches are meant to be God's people in a particular place, supporting one another, loving one another. They're meant to be people who, by the quality of their life together, bear witness to the goodness and the glory of God. That's what Israel was meant to do, and that's what we, as the church, are meant to do as well. So to be part of God's people means to have this new communal identity. But lastly, 
and this is the most interesting part of the passage to me in some way, uh, this new identity as God's people means to receive the glory of God. Look in in verse 5 when Peter says, You, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable and pleasing to God. That is temple imagery. What was the temple? The temple was the dwelling place of God where God's glory dwelt. The temple was a kind of spiritual house for God. And Peter is saying that that is what the church is. That is what the church is meant to be. It is meant to be the place where God's glory dwells. And if you go back to Exodus 19 uh, and and go through the rest of the story, maybe you remember what happens. Uh, the, The people of Israel come, they make this covenant, and what does it say? It says that God's glory came down off the mountain, and the mountain shook. And that is what Peter is saying is available to us in the church, God's glory. I think this is another thing that is hard for us, maybe as Americans, because we are very individual, individualistic in our faith. Uh, Because Peter is telling us that when Christians really gather together in a deep and meaningful way, not just in a superficial way, but when they gather together in a deep and meaningful way, that the glory of God is available to you in the church in a way that it's not otherwise available to you. And just to give you an example of that, if you you went and studied... uh, the history of revivals in the church, they they pretty much always start with people gathering together. Usually small groups of people, uh, praying together, loving one another, serving one another, helping each other see and grasp the gospel in a way that they didn't before. And so there's always this, uh, this communal dimension to it. And God's glory breaks out in those moments. It is when the church is being built up together, Peter says, that God's glory comes down. That's the biblical pattern uh, and the promise that Peter is giving us here. And all of this is part of our new identity as Christians. What's available to us as Christians, being part of the people of God. So that's the first main point, that we have this new identity with all the privileges and blessings that come with being part of God's people. Uh, But we don't just have a new identity. We also have a new purpose or a new calling. Peter says, again in verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And here... Peter is telling us that Christians, the church, has a particular purpose in the world, and that purpose is to proclaim God's glory to others. And I think this is a key point that we can't emphasize enough here, because often when we're talking about being called as Christians, we forget about being sent 
that our, our calling as Christians has this missional dimension to it. In other words, we're not simply meant to bask in the benefits of our salvation. We, rather, we are saved and called and elected to be the means in which God draws others to himself. That's the true calling of the church. And this has really always been true of the people of God. If you go back to uh, Genesis 12, for example, the call of Abraham, uh, God chooses Abraham specifically, particularly, he, he takes him out of everyone in, on, the, on the earth. He chooses Abraham, but what does he say? He says, I'm choosing you so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 uh, talks about God. God says to the people of Israel uh, to keep His commands. And one of the reasons He gives is that all the other nations will be drawn to, uh, to Israel because of that. And he, so Peter is saying that the church is to continue on with this calling that God has chosen the church not only to be His special people, but to fulfill a special purpose which has the redemption of the whole world in mind. Uh, a former professor of mine, Michael Goheen, once put it this way, uh, which has been really helpful to me. He says, this is the biblical pattern. God begins with a particular people, knits them back together, and restores the creational relationships fractured in the fall. He begins with a reconciled community and then incorporates others from outside into this community. In short, God's people have been chosen to be reconciled to God, to each other, and to the non-human creation, and then to draw others into that same reconciliation. In other words, he's saying as Christians, uh, if you are a Christian, not only do, do you have this new identity, uh, one filled with all the privileges and benefits of being called God's people, His, His treasured possession, but you also have this new purpose to help others uh, be reconciled to God, to come to know Him. And so, of course, the, the, the question uh, is, how do we go about fulfilling that purpose? And I think the answer that Peter is, is giving us here is this call to be living as priests. Uh, did you notice that all throughout the passage, he, he's talking about uh, all New Covenant believers being priests. Over and over again he says it. So in verse 5 he says, You are to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. In verse 9 he says, You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. What could Peter be saying here? Well, I think if we just stop a minute and think about the function uh, of, of a priest, that will be helpful uh, because priests were, first of all, mediators. They were people who offered sacrifices. Uh, they interceded for others to help. They interceded between God and others in that way. Um, they were also the ones who taught the law, so they were proclaimers of the word. And so mediation and proclamation were the two principal functions of priests in the Old Testament. Uh, but priests were also unique 
and that they were especially consecrated to the Lord. They were called to be holy and above reproach. They had to be ritually cleansed, for example, and sanctified and set apart because really they were meant to be patterns of godliness uh, for, for all the world to look at and see. And I think what Peter is calling the church to here is to both of those priestly functions that on one hand... We witness to the world. We bear witness to the gospel when we proclaim and mediate the gospel to people. We do that by sharing our faith through evangelism. We also do it by uh, interceding for people, being involved in their lives, praying for them, lifting them up to God. But on the other hand, we also bear witness to the gospel when we live holy lives. Notice that Peter says in verses 11 through 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And so Peter is saying that a large part of Christian witness has to do with personal holiness, our character, how we carry ourselves through this world, how the church lives corporately together, that in itself bears witness to the gospel and points people to God. Uh, In other words, Peter is telling us that Christian character really matters a great deal in our ability to share our faith. Uh, it's really a lot like that part in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you remember uh, where Peter and Susan go to the professor and they're going to tell him all about Lucy and Lucy's claims that she's uh, gone through this wardrobe and has been to Narnia. And uh, it's really interesting what the professor says. He says, You know, your sister does not tell lies, and she is clearly not mad, so the most logical thing to do is to believe her. In other words, he he appeals to Lucy's character. You know her not to be a liar. Maybe she's telling the truth. And in the same way for, for Christians, for the church, if we are going to bear witness to the gospel in the world... If we are going to tell other people about the goodness and the glory of God, uh, if we're going to live out this calling, we must be people of character. Uh, Like the priest of old, we must be consecrated to God, set apart, holy, dying to our sin. Otherwise, why would anyone believe what we have to say? If they look at at our life and and see that we're just like everyone else... um, Why would they believe us? Christians have a unique purpose in the world. Uh, We are called to help reconcile others to God. And we do this through uh, gospel mediation, we could call it, by proclaiming the word, by praying for others, being in their life, and also by living holy lives. Uh, Now, that's easier said than done, isn't it? Many of us here likely do not feel like we are very far along when it comes to our personal holiness and growth 
that there are sins in our lives that we still struggle with. Uh, and in verse 11, you know, Peter even describes us as being in the middle of a war with sin. He says that the passions of the flesh are waging war against your souls. And so the question is, how do we fight that battle with sin? How do we become this people that we are meant to be, that we're called to be in this passage? How do we lean into this new identity and calling uh, that we have as Christians? Uh, and the answer is we need a new foundation. That's our, our final point here. We need a new foundation and we have that in Christ. In verse 6, Peter quotes Isaiah saying, It stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know, we've already talked a little bit about how the church has this identity of being built up into a temple, a spiritual house, it says, a place for God to dwell. But Peter is saying here that Christ is the cornerstone. In other words, he's the thing that holds it all together. Uh, the whole building is dependent upon him, Jesus, that Jesus is our foundation. So how can we be built up together into a spiritual house? How can we grow in holiness? How can we live out our calling as God's people? Uh, and the answer must be that we, we have to lean more on our cornerstone, on Jesus. Uh, it's only when we grasp the gospel more and more that we become the people that we're supposed to be. People who offer spiritual sacrifices pleasing to God, which is our worship. Uh, people who proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. That's the calling of God's people. And we can only do that when we grasp the fullness and the depth and the riches and the glory of the grace of God, when that becomes our foundation. You see, the gospel tells us that we are more loved and accepted and chosen by God despite ourselves. We are a chosen people, not, not because we're uh, choice people, that we're worth choosing, but that He chooses us in spite of ourselves. The gospel tells us that God has chosen us to be his people despite our flaws, despite our imperfections. And it is only when we lean into that reality that we uh, really start to change. You know, there's a, a place in the Westminster Confession of Faith that I love uh, in chapter 18. Uh, on the assurance of grace is, is what the, the chapter is on. And there's this place where it says that often we as Christians just do not experience assurance in our life. We don't really have the confidence uh, that we're saved. And uh, so, therefore, we struggle with sin and anxiety. Uh, but it has this great line where it says, For those who... You know, lean more and more into the gospel, confirm their calling and election. It says that their heart will be enlarged by the peace and joy of the Holy Ghost, in love and thankfulness to God and in obedience. And, and what it's saying is that it is possible to be a believer in Christ, to come to uh, an intellectual understanding of Christ and not be resting on Christ as your foundation. 
it is possible to be a Christian and to lack the assurance and comfort and joy and peace that is available to you through Christ. But it is also saying that when we lean more and more on Christ, our cornerstone, when we confirm that calling and election, that we will, uh, our hearts will be flooded, enlarged with that peace and joy, and it will eventually lead to obedience, growth and holiness. Uh, So how can we do that? How can we make Christ more of our foundation? Uh, Very practically speaking, we can make Christ our foundation when we spend more time in God's Word. Uh, when we gather together to talk about Him with others and to, and to pray together and to worship together. Uh, but, you know, there's this place in John 16 that I think is really applicable here to end with. Uh, it's this place where Jesus says to the disciples, Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. And so, friends, I urge us today that, that we would spend time asking Jesus, to be our joy, to give us fullness of joy, that we would rest more on Him, that we would then be able to take up this calling as God's people. Uh, You have been given a new identity, a new purpose, and a new foundation. You are God's chosen and treasured possession. You are ones who have been called out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Let us lean more and more on that reality. Let us lean on Christ, our foundation. Uh, Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we do thank you for sending us Jesus to become the cornerstone. Um, Lord, that we we know our our growth is ultimately uh, a work of, Uh, that we can't even accomplish on our own, that we need Him. And so, Lord, we pray now that You would uh, strengthen us in the the assurance of Your grace, and, and Lord, that You would make very real to us um, this new identity that we have. May it sink in that we are Your treasured possession, uh, that You've given us uh, Your glory, that You've given us this new identity as, as people, Uh, as your people. And Lord, I pray for uh, this church, this congregation, that you would build them up as a spiritual house together, that you would uh, help them to love and support one another well, and to um, that they would see your glory come down in this place. Uh, Make yourself known to each of us now, we ask, Lord, in deeper and newer ways, through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, as we give back to you now through our tithes and offering, would you take it as an offering that is pleasing and acceptable to you? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.